Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey guys, and welcome to the very first Friday in December, the last month of the year. We have a great show in store for you today. In fact, my guest, Terrence Lester, today's his birthday. So happy birthday to you, Terrence. I'm so honored to have you on the show on your birthday. I adore this conversation that I had right now. It was so inspiring, so encouraging. Terrence is a minister, a speaker, a community activist, author, and founder of Love Beyond Walls, a not-for-profit organization focused on poverty awareness and community mobilization. His campaigns on behalf of the poor have been featured in USA Today and Black Enterprise and have been viewed by millions of people globally on The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS News, NBC, and now The Happy Hour. He is also the author of a book called I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. I read this book before he came on the show and really, really loved it. You guys, he focuses on poverty awareness, and I would say that that's what we talk about a lot in the show today. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to learn new things. You're going to be challenged, and you're going to see how maybe you can show up in your own community to help those that are living in poverty where you live. Friends, speaking of poverty, one of the organizations that we love, besides Terrence's organization, Love Beyond Walls, which we're all big fans of now, we're also fans of Compassion International. And we've actually been talking about Compassion a lot over the last couple of weeks. We had Jonathan Alamante on the week of Thanksgiving. I hope you were able to listen to that show. If not, go back and listen to it because he tells his story of growing up in poverty in the Dominican Republic and how his life and his mom's life and his whole entire family's life was changed through the local church there and through Compassion International. At the Happy Hour, we are big supporters of Compassion. In fact, we started our year this year by visiting a Compassion program in Mexico City. Lindsay was there. We were there with my friend Christy, and we got to see the work that they're doing hands-on, and each of us sponsor a child in that program in that area, and now we're asking you to partner with Compassion as well. We're talking about getting so many kids in the Dominican Republic sponsored. In fact, there are over a 1,000 kids who have been waiting for a sponsor for over a year. I would really love it if you would pray about and think about how you can be a small part of their story, how you can link arms with compassion for $38 a month and help a kid not only get out of poverty, but know Jesus because they do everything through the local church. I don't know if you saw my Instagram live that was on Wednesday with Compassion, and I showed you some of the children that are available for sponsorship. If you didn't see it, check out my Instagram. It's still there. But I would love it if you would just go visit their webpage, pray about it, see if this is something that God has for you and your family as you finish out 2020 and go into 2021. Visit Compassion.com slash Ivy. That's I-V-E-Y. In fact, if you sponsor a child using that link, so we can tell and and we can follow it. If you sponsor a child with that link from now until the end of 2020, we're going to send you a beautiful ornament by Grace Lace, which my friend Ruth Jo Simons has created those. And then we're going to send you a signed copy of my newest book, You Be You. One of the things that we're dreaming about over here at the happy hour is partnering with Compassion and taking a trip with listeners. You guys that listen to the show who have sponsored a child in the Dominican Republic, we're praying and hoping that in the future, we can take a trip together where you have the potential opportunity to meet the child that you sponsor. I've actually had that beautiful opportunity to meet most of the children that our family has sponsored, and it's life-changing. It is beautiful to see how your $38 a month changes their life and their community's life, because we know that when you change someone's life, an entire community can also be impacted. Together is better. And together, we can change the world for a family today. Go to compassion.com slash Ivy. All right, friends, here's my conversation with the birthday boy, Terrence Lester. Terrence, welcome to the happy hour. Jamie, excited to be here. So excited that you're here to talk about some things that I think are really important in our world today and things that you're doing where you are currently and around the world. But first, introduce yourself to my listeners. Yeah, sure. So my name is uh, Terrence Lester. I'm the founder and executive director of a nonprofit organization called Love Beyond Walls, and we're based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm actually a native from Atlanta, so I was born and raised here. You don't find too Look many at of you. us. You're like an Atlanta unicorn or something? Yeah, yeah. It's rare to be native, but I love this city. Grew up here my entire life. Overcame a lot of challenges here, I'm sure you'll ask me about. And um, I have a family. So I tell people my wife is my best friend and my children are my little best friends. Okay. I love <laughs> yeah. it. I love it. How old are your kids? 
My daughter is 12. She celebrated her 12th birthday in the middle of a pandemic. That was fun and exciting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and my son is nine. Okay. He uh, will turn 10 in January. So yeah, awesome. they're, they're a fun crew. Awesome. It's kind of like if people are native Austins, they're kind of weird because there's not a lot of native people in Austin where I'm from. And so it's fun when you get to say that. Terrence, your book came through here and I was immediately struck by the cover. I see you, how love opens our eyes to invisible people. And um, it's a book full of stories. In fact, you start off with your own personal story. And the book is how do we as Christ followers see people who can sometimes feel invisible. Like we could just look past them, not acknowledge them, talking about the homeless community. And so how does your story intertwine with the organization that you run today? That question takes me back to age 16, probably 16 and a half years old. I was standing outside of a, um, a gas station begging for change because that night run away from home. You know, if you're listening to this, you can only imagine what type of tension or environment that I was living in that made a teenager leave home on a school night. And so it's very cold outside, probably 30 degrees. And this guy comes up to me and he says, like, young man, what are you doing out this late? And I said, I just need some change to use the payphone because I didn't have a cell phone at the time. I'm dating myself. Yeah. <laughs> And he reluctantly gives me two quarters. I go over to the the payphone and my hopes was to call my friend named Eric. Eric and I was very familiar. He went to school with me and I knew his dad was a, a believer. And his dad was probably the first example of what I would see as a man leading his family, being involved in his family, loving his kids and following Jesus. Right. And so I knew if anybody could be there for me, it was Mr. Moore. And I'm talking to Eric on the phone and I asked him, I said, hey, man, do you think your family would allow me to come over to get something to eat? And he puts down the phone. You can hear his footsteps running across the floor and he comes back and he says, yeah, come over. My family loves you. I remember pulling up to Mr. Moore's house, um, him walking down the driveway, hot dog in one hand, soccer ball in the other. And at that time, I was driving this this beat up car. I had enough gas to make it there. And uh, he told me to roll down the window and he tells me to look at, he says, look at me. And he taps me on the chest and he says, look at me in my eyes. Uh, as the first guy that I could ever look in the eyes and, and fully trust as a young man. And he says, you know, you're a leader, right? And that struck me, you know, what do you mean I'm a leader? I'm going to sleep in a park. What do you mean I'm a leader? There are educators who don't understand why I fall asleep in class, right? Because they don't understand my social context. What do you mean? I'm a leader. Uh, and he hands me the soccer ball and he says, you're just like the soccer ball. I said, what do you mean? He says the soccer ball was placed in an environment that it didn't ask to be in, in between two teams. And just like you and me and everybody else, sometimes we're placed in environments and in families in between two people. And we didn't ask to be there. And just like the soccer ball, you've been kicked around. But he says, there are a few things about this ball that I want to teach you about. And he says, the first thing is, the way that the ball survives all of the kicks of life is because of what's on the inside. And he started to talk to me about what was on the inside of me. And then he says, turn the ball around. And I turn it around. He says, read. And it said it was made for all purpose. I mean, he talked to me about my purpose and what he thought God was doing in my life, despite my circumstances. And then he says, you know, every soccer ball has a goal. And the way that you're going to overcome a lot of these issues or be greater than the environment that you're in, you're going to have to get some goals. And Mr. Moore essentially saw me. And it wasn't the type of seeing that you do when you say, oh, that's a nice shirt or those are nice pants. He saw me in all of my humanity. He saw the Imago Day on the inside of me and he affirmed me. He became essentially one of the persons that discipled me in many ways and encouraged me and built me up and just provided that space and unconditional love. And it literally transformed my life. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche, uh, he was the person I would call and ask, should I marry her? You know, or should I put myself through school? Should I become the first guy in my family to graduate college? And he would be there, you know, championing me on. Yes, yes, yes. And I'll never forget when he passed away of cancer uh, the first year 
I was starting Lovey and Walls, it was because of him that I leaned into this idea that God could use your greatest pain to lead you to your destiny. Mm. Uh, that sometimes God can use what you've been through to minister to others in a way uh, that, that points back to him and provides so much glory. And so I was standing at his funeral and, you know, I was asked to say words by the family and many of the people around me were just like me in similar ways. And it was in that moment that I reflected on the fact that he was a a person that lived the life of seeing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the context of how I relate to this issue, this complex issue that we are advocating for. And, you know, it's only by God's grace that I'm here and I'm able to do the types of things that we've been able to do as an organization. But greater than that, it's, it's because somebody essentially saw me, right? that I want to do the seeing of other people. Mm. Mr. Moore, what a wonderful man. You say every single woman, man, and child experiencing homelessness has a story, and they matter to God. If we truly believe that God has created us all, that means that we should care for the whole community, including people living on the streets. You talk in your book about a lot of maybe false ideas that people might have of people who are experiencing homelessness. A lot of really kind of hard beliefs. I remember as I'm four, I don't know how old you are, I'm 42. I remember the first time I remember interacting with someone who was experiencing homelessness. And I was in New York City with my grandpa. My grandpa's passed away now, but this is one of my favorite stories of him. And I mean, this would have been, you know, early 90s. And a man was asking my grandfather for some money. And my grandfather said, if you stay right here, I'll head over to McDonald's and buy you a couple meals. And he did that. And I've never forgotten that moment with my grandfather when I walked across the street to McDonald's and came back and gave this man the food. But I want to talk to you about maybe some of these ideas that we as Christians might have about people who are experiencing homelessness. And honestly, I want you to also give me a little bit of a lesson right here. You use these two words together a lot, experiencing homelessness. And I love learning about things I don't know. And I don't think I've ever learned that before. So can you explain to me why language matters when we're speaking of people who are experiencing homelessness? And then let's dive in about some of the misconceptions that we might have towards people that can be oftentimes very invisible to people in their own cities. Yeah. So those are really great points to respond to your kind of like your first uh, statements about the misconceptions that people have. I think people have misconceptions all the time, right? To be poor in this country means to be criminal in some way. To be without a home means in many ways that you are lazy, that you haven't uh, put in the type of work necessary to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps is Mm -hmm. the phraseology when in many cases, many people don't start with starting blocks, right? Or boots to even pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And then there are misconceptions about, you know, all people experiencing homelessness are either on drugs or they have a mental health issue, which is far from the truth. And I think being in the time that we're in right now, people are really starting to see how close to the experience of homelessness that one can be. I mean, millions of Americans right now have been either furloughed or they're experiencing some type of unemployment. Right now, statisticians and researchers are saying that by 2021, the experience of homelessness will increase by 41% just based upon what we're going through right now. Mm -hmm. And I would bet, or, you know, if we were to sit people down who own small businesses or restaurants that have closed or things that they've had to shut down, they would tell you not in a million years would I have ever thought that I would be on the brink of almost being evicted or put out of my home because I can no longer afford because I can't generate income. And so the experience of homelessness itself has many streams, right? Many segues into the fight. Some people laid off their jobs, which is the leading cause of the experience of homelessness. Some people get sick, right? Mm. Uh, Right now, this speaks to where we are right now. Think about the number of people who've gotten sick. And if I could really be personal, Jamie, a few, probably less than a month ago, uh, we actually uh, buried my wife's brother Mm. who passed away from COVID-19. I'm so sorry. And the loss of income 
yeah. as place a strain on our own nieces and nephew mm-hmm. and our sister and uh, even trying to figure that out. And I'm being raw and transparent because yeah. when I say that there are many stories to this experience who are fleeing domestic violence, there are kids who are born into the experience of homeless and never asked mm-hmm. to get there. There are youth right now zeroing out of the foster care system and all they are giving is all of them in the trash bag and they have no idea how they will survive on their own. And so I say all that to say is we do have to respect how much courage you have to have to survive poverty or even to survive uh, the experience of homelessness in this world. Mm. I mean, it takes courage to wake up every single day and to experience suffering or loss or grief second by second and um, be in a place where, you know, you just keep going. Mm. To answer your, you know, your second, the second part of your statement, that many ways, you know, we have dropped the ball in many respects as Christians, right? Um, Sometimes we use the scripture out of context that, you know, the poor will always be with you, right? Mm-hmm. And any scholar or, you know, theologian would understand the very context and the nature of what Jesus is even saying in this passage. First of all, Jesus is talking to one of his disciples that is a thief, right? Uh, Judas. And when Jesus is actually saying this in response to this message that Judas uh, said to him, He's actually quoting another well-known biblical phrase, and this would be found in the Jewish Torah, right? And the full passage is found in Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11. And so basically the context of the, the passage is that you shall open wide your hand to your brother, uh, to those who are needy, to the poor in your land. God is actually giving a decree that we should not be tight-fisted uh, with people who we see with physical needs, right? And Jesus is saying this in a way to remind one of his disciples that we should put the main priority first, which is aff- affirming the dignity of those who may be impoverished. Mm-hmm. And what a call that we have as a church, because also Jesus, the man that we follow, lived from place to place. He says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere uh, to lay his head. The person that we worship on Sunday, right? experience homelessness in his earthly life. Mm -hmm. He would identify with the brother or the sister or the child or the widow or the orphan who is marginalized and oftentimes overlooked. Jesus himself knows what it means to be invisible, right? Mm -hmm. He was so invisible. He was hung on the cross for you Mm -hmm. and I. And we have to remember that in some way, we're all poor. You know, some are materially poor and others are immaterially poor. But it's that great hope that we have in Christ when he came to earth and gave up everything that we experienced the riches of relationship uh, with our father in heaven. And so what I try to tell people is the same way that God literally wrecked your world and provided the wealth of spirit, right? And the wealth of relationship with him is the same way that we should allow that love and compassion of being seen overwhelm us to the point that we want to see others. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. 
Enjoy live music. Visit internationally recognized art museums and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. So I want you to take me back and tell me, I know you explained in the beginning a little bit of your story and how you felt seen for the first time. I want you to take me back and tell me, how did you begin this work? Like, how did you begin your work working with people who are in situations most of them never thought they'd be in, experiencing homelessness? Because, I mean, I love this conversation, and there are many people in our world that we need to see that we don't see. How did God use you to zoom in on this particular people group that we're looking at? Man, you know, I never even thought that this would be the lane or the call that, you know, I would have. Mm -hmm. And I oftentimes tell people this is something that actually chose me. I feel God's great pursuit in this call for me because all I ever had was a servant's heart. I just wanted to show up and give time, talent, treasure, whatever I could to serve anybody that was before me. Two years from before actually starting the organization, I was a church planner. I actually led a small church for two years. And I remember the day that I realized that the church was not going to work. I was heartbroken because, you know, we invested so much time and energy and it was just so hard to get off the ground and, and try to sustain and I remember telling my wife that I, I was going to tell our, you know, mentor that, you know, we're going to have to stop. And it was great frustration and pain. And I remember sitting down with uh, Brian and Amy and I told him, and I thought he was just going to be like really upset. And he asked me a question that literally changed the trajectory of my life. He says, well, how has God shown up in your life? And it wasn't any pressure there. It was like, well... I'm passionate about this. And every time we do outreach, you know, people show up and, you know, we are really creative at going out and loving on, on those who were experiencing homelessness. And he says, what if God is just pushing you to do that? Do you have a name for it? I was sitting in my office and on one of our uh, church planting t-shirts was the name Love Beyond Walls. It had been there the entire time. Hmm. Around that time, I was also reading a book uh, by one of my mentors now, Dave Gibbons. And there was this great line in towards the back of the book, because Dave is saying that 
sometimes God can use what makes you upset, what pains you. If you lean into that, it could provide a gift that you could literally give to the world to bring glory to God, right? And the phrase is, sometimes God will use your greatest pain to lead you to your destiny. And so I did this exercise. I was before my whiteboard and I just asked myself a question. If I could, you know, write one word phrases of all the things that pain me and upset me, you know, what would it be? And words started to come out like black sheep of the family or Mm -hmm. misfit or misunderstood or isolation. And before you know it, I was bawling before this whiteboard because I wasn't like physically homeless at that moment. But in a sociological sense, I felt like these words were screaming homelessness Mm. because many people can even be in a home, but still feel homeless, right? Mm -hmm. If we define home in the context of what I say in the book, home is a place where you feel accepted, where you belong, where you have safe space, right? Home goes beyond just four walls and a roof. Home Mm -hmm. is just like a community. It's belonging, right? And so I just felt like the Lord was saying, that's the issue. Mm. And in this moment, you know, it started to make me reflect on all the stuff that I had gone through and overcome. And, you know, I just wanted to show up in some way. And so my wife and I started just going downtown visiting uh, people. And, you know, there are relationships that were being forged. I, I mean, I didn't have any agenda. I just wanted to go hang out and be proximate to mm-hmm. the people that I wanted to love and just remind that, you know, they were worthy. And I literally started just by having conversations. The first campaign I ever launched as an organization came out of a conversation that I had with a guy named Kurt. Uh, he told me to call him Kurt Dog, but he was he was living behind the building uh-huh. in trash. And I'd been going downtown to have breakfast with him every single week. And he thought, you know, I was just some weird dude that was going to uh-huh. stop coming. <laughs> but I kept showing up. And finally, uh, one day, Kurt just literally opened up. He says, man, you want to know why I'm out here? I say, yeah. He says, because there's a shelter nearby and it's about 500 men sleep in one room and sometimes in chairs. And it's only one urinal. He says the smell is so thick you can taste it. Mm. And as a matter of fact, if I was to go there, I wouldn't get any rest because I would be up all night protecting everything I own and possess in this one bed. He says, man, four years ago, I was in a car accident and he pointed the street was uh, like four blocks over. And he says, I lost my wife and my child. I was working a job. I was normal, but the loss and the grief took over, caused me to be depressed. And I used alcohol to try to cope. He says, before you know it, I can no longer function on my job, no longer had a job and I lost everything. And that's why we're standing Mm -hmm. in this trash right now. He says, "Um, you want to know what it feels like to go into a shelter and have some workers look down on you or, you know, not really even get rest. He says, I, you should go and do it, right? And I'll never forget driving home. And I had just read this passage, you know, for the Son of Man did not come to be served and give his life as a ransom for many. And I go, man, we serve a Savior that literally took off his divine shoes to walk in ours, to empathize with our earthly sufferings. And that's the type of life I want to live. I get home and I'm eating dinner with my family and my wife knows something is wrong. And she's like, what's going on? I say, this guy named Kurt, you know, Kurt. She says, yeah. I say, he challenged me to experience homelessness. I say, I think I'm supposed to make myself uh, homeless again and go through all of these experiences so I can advocate. She's like, what? (laughs) You know? And long story short, that became the first campaign where I was my with the permission of my family. I was living on the streets for over a month, eating out of trash cans in the middle of winter, uh, being put out of shelters, documenting all of these experiences to educate people about the every second suffering of what it goes to. I remember standing on the street corner and to your point earlier begging for money with one of my friends, Keith, who had a terminal illness and people would throw cans at us and say harmful things and lock their doors. And they had no idea that we were begging for dollars so he can get his medication to survive Mm. in 10 degree weather. And so, you know, that became the start of Love Beyond Walls. And to answer your question, I just, I asked myself, what is it that upsets me to the point where I'm passionate about it 
And then how can I create the time, right, the margin to actually give to this particular cause or interest over and over again? Mm. So you created Love Beyond Walls. And tell me what you guys do and what you've been doing and how you're coming alongside people in your community. Yeah. So when we first started the organization, we started just like we were telling stories and we were also reuniting people with their families. That experience You know, just from going through the experience of living on the streets, we got 12 people off the streets. We reunited them with their family members. And then, you know, a few months later, we had a building where we were providing grooming and uh, grooming services, right, for job interviews. And then we discovered, like, sometimes you lose your identification card. You don't have access to your ID. So we started helping people to recover access you know, to their identification cards, because without an ID, you can't get a job, you can't cash a check, you can't uh, find somewhere to stay, you can't even open a bank account. And like my friend Mark, that we helped get off the streets, he would say, without my ID, I didn't even feel like a citizen, right? Hmm. I had to prove who I I really was. And then we started uh, temporarily housing people, teaching them carpentry skills, uh, helping men and women to get access to gainful employment. We opened up our center where it was a free wash house where, you know, people who were struggling between should I purchase a meal or, you know, should I wash my clothes at a coin laundry? Mm. We were providing uh, free Wi-Fi and technology services, which I think people can even understand with the recent photo that has gone viral of the kids sitting outside of Taco Bell trying to use Wi-Fi in a pandemic because they didn't have access to technology, thinking about the digital divide, you know, teaching leadership classes and really essentially just building deeper relationships with the people that we love and care about. You know, I like to tell people that ministry arises from need, but, you know, all of those things are just vehicles for us to get proximate to the people that we love and care about. Our whole ministry and organization is centered around proximity and present. Proximity is different from presence uh, because, I mean, you can be proximate to something just for a brief moment. Yeah. But presence is when you dwell and you get a chance to show up and you are engaging in meaningful dialogues Mm -hmm. and you know people's hopes and their fears and their dreams and you get a chance to understand people for who they are. And you understand that we are all interconnected, as you know, Reverend Martin Luther King was trying to communicate. Right. Uh, that we are a part of a global village, uh, that Mm -hmm. we are all uh, the beloved of God's children. And, And so. You know, I would just say, essentially, you know, we are not only advocating to build empathy and educate some of our volunteers and doers that which we call them, but we are also, you know, building deep and meaningful relationships with the people that are in our community. And over the last almost seven years, we've uh, gotten close to 400 people off of the streets, you know, through jobs and through stable housing, uh, through reunification you know, through, you know, even providing temporary employment ourselves through a number of ways. And, and, you know, the greatest joy is that that's not just a number. All of those people have names and they have stories and they come from different places and they're husbands and, you know, uncles and sons and cousins and aunts. And um, most importantly, they're, you know, they're God's creation. Bears, yeah. I love how you talk about proximity and presence. And we talk a lot here on the happy hour about how much proximity matters, you know, in everything that you're doing in your life. If you've never met someone who has come to America as an immigrant, it's hard to understand when you hear, you know, people talking about immigration policy, you just hear a policy, you don't hear a person, you know, or it's hard when you're talking about someone who, you know, is experiencing same-sex attraction. If you don't know anyone, you have misconceptions about what their life might be like. And so, I love to hear that. And we talk about that here a lot about how proximity matters so much. And thank you for adding that presence piece to it as well. As I know people are listening and thinking, okay, Terrence this is awesome. You're in Atlanta. I'm in like Boise or, you know, I'm in San Diego or I'm up here in Nebraska. What can I do to even start to understand maybe what someone who's experiencing homelessness might need in my community? Like if someone's sitting here going, okay, now what? Like, what do I do? What do you say to someone who's coming to you going, okay, I want to learn more. I want to know more. I want to be a doer. The first point that I would like to make is a little untraditional. I would tell people, and I have told people to look at their lives. I think the first step is introspection, Mm -hmm. right? You have to ask yourself the hard question, 
do I have enough margin to make this a lifestyle? Right. I love how you talked uh, about margin in here. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, because my whole hope and you know mission is to push people away from being an event person, right? Mm-hmm. We love events, you know, a couple times a year. Oh, we helped out, right? And we pat yeah. ourselves on the back. As Jesus followers, we should be lifestyle people. And the only way to develop the lifestyle of service is to create the type of margin in your life where you can make a service a, a rhythm, right? I oftentimes talk about how I don't use uh, service as punishment for my children, right? Oh, you've been bad. And, uh, you know, I want to teach you a lesson. Let me drag you down to the soup kitchen and all <laughs> right. the, the poor people to let them know, let you know that how good you have it, right? Mm. No, service is a core value of my family. Mm. So going to the store to shop for their favorite thing is just like going to serve, going to the movies. It's just like going to serve because we've incorporated it in the fabric of who we are as a family and as a people, right? And so uh, the first thing I will ask, will tell uh, someone listening is to challenge yourself to take something off your plate that you know has no eternal value, right? Mm. It's just a gap filler. It's just uh, filling a void and it has no meaning. And oftentimes that's hard because we have you know, these types of addictions to things that validates some part of us that creates this void. I would push you to create margin in your life. Like what if you gave an hour of time, you know, once a week or once every other week, coupled with the hours that other people give, just think about the impact that you can make. Think about if you even carved out time to research what's in your context, right? You know, what's around you become knowledgeable of what's around you because your thing may not even be to show up for people experiencing homelessness. You could show up to help uh, mothers with children who are experiencing poverty. You may show up to say, hey, I have a knack for research. I just want to offer of myself and the gifts and skill sets that I have to make a difference. Sometimes it's just identifying what's around you and even carving out that little time. And people sometimes think that because they give a little bit, it won't have a huge impact. Well, I have a story for you. I remember we encountered this guy experiencing homelessness and he had been out of touch with his family for 30 years. Oh, is that very common, Terrence? Yeah. I mean, all yeah, the time. I would imagine. Yeah. There was this lady who would just, you know, come by from time to time. And one day she was just like, what can I do? And Ronald started talking about, you know, man, I wish I had my family, et cetera. And before you know it, they were in a conversation and she had a gift of research, right? She's the person that's online. She could use Google to uh-huh. just Google. You know? <laughs> hey, listen, we all know those people because they're going to find your ex-boyfriend and they're going to tell you, right. we, we, yeah, they're going to get on the Facebook and they know exactly what to do. Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. So she gave hour a week for an entire month. That's four hours. Mm. She was able to reunite Ronald with his sister in his home state. And it was one of the most beautiful, you know, reuniting experiences we ever saw. And it was just four hours. Mm. You know, you think about the time that you can give in a small, you know, chunk, but the difference of the impact it can make, it can be tremendous. Yeah. You know, from doing the research of what's around you, as you start to develop and step across the line and build relationships with even other people who are already doing this work, you'll learn amazing things. You'll learn, you know, the needs of, you know, the community, even if you dare to build relationships with people who are in the community, people that you would never even think that you would form a relationship with, Yeah, you know, stepping across the line, you know, as our quote says in our the lobby of our center, you can never meet the meet needs of the of a person that you've never met. Mm-hmm. You can never meet the needs of a person that you've never met. You know, and that last piece is just relationship building. And I don't know if that answers your questions, but I try to talk about these things in very like simple ways. You know, create time, do research around you, take time to find your one. Mm-hmm. Who's the one around you? Who's the one in front of you? What's the one organization around you that you could give small pockets of time to to do something and you allow God to grow it, to snowball it, to do whatever. But 
essentially we're doing like the the little boy with two fish and five loaves. We're offering it up to the master for God to do some amazing things with it. Yeah. I think one thing too, that I've seen so much change take place in people's hearts and lives and souls when they've just grown up, you know, frankly privileged and not had to have these conversations about what other people might be experiencing would be, you know, hearing stories. And Terrence, I think we could have story hour with you because I could sit and listen to you tell a story all day long. But to hear other people's stories, you know, we say at the happy hour a lot that stories change the world. And and hearing someone's experience, it's hard to keep misconceptions about what you thought about that person, that whatever it might be, when you look at someone in the face and you hear their story. And so even, I mean, your book is an amazing resource. And I'm not just saying that because you're on here, but it is an amazing resource for someone who's wanting to understand something that, quite frankly, they might not have ever had to face before. And I think that's what I always see is the most difficult thing is it's not a matter of someone wanting to make a difference once they hear and see a person. It's a matter of helping people hear and see the person. And so I know that you probably experienced that in your work as well. I want to ask you about this. You guys have done some great things during these last couple months with COVID um, hitting. And I was excited to see what you guys have done in your city, Atlanta. We have something very similar in Austin, and my daughter and I were a part of it the whole time she was out of school with weekly times. So I'm going to let you share what you guys did with the the hand washing stations and how that was such a, a big, big, big need that was filled by you guys. So tell us about that. Back when we were just starting to realize that you know COVID was something that was you know dangerous and a threat to. The populace, you know, we kept hearing these stories even in our community center where people would say things like, I'm afraid I'll contract COVID-19 because I don't have anywhere to wash my hands. You know, I don't have access to running water. And in thinking about how places would be closing down, uh, like public libraries and businesses and all of these things, it was like, yeah, like there's a population of people experiencing homelessness that wouldn't have access to what the CDC says is the basic, you know, protection against the contraction and spread of COVID-19, which is hand washing. And because our organization had been, you know, uh, had experience with using RVs, uh, which is, you know, what people use for leisure to go on camping trips. We had the experience of working with portable options because with RVs, you have portable cooking stations, porta potties, mm-hmm. portable hand washing stations, etc. And I was doing research about how to use these parts from RVs to assemble these hand washing stations to start to distribute. And, you know, I thought we were just going to do like five in the city, and around that time, my friend Lecrae had reached out and he was just like randomly asking me, bro, like, what are we doing to uh, serve people experiencing homelessness? Um, I just want to support. Him. And I told him the idea. And he was like, OK, we're going to do 15. And before you know it, you know, almost seven months into this, we have uh, stations in over 50 cities, over 60 partners. We have stations in Canada as well as Australia. And we have been leading, you know, we have uh, stations even in Austin, Austin, Texas. Maybe we were partnering with you guys because I would go and we would take a big thing of water and we would clean it and then we would fill it up with water and you pump it with your foot. That's us. My daughter's story and I went on the Fridays and did one down at um, on 4th Street downtown. Are you serious? I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, we've been partnering with churches and organizations and from all types of cities. From here all the way to San Francisco to California, um, L.A., uh, Washington, D.C., Austin, Texas, Dallas, Texas, all over the United States. And so it's been around this idea that if you are houseless, just because you don't have an address does not mean that you're not a neighbor. Right. Yeah. And, you know, sanitation is a basic human right uh, that we should all have access to. And so, you know, we've just been showing up and we view hand washing similar to like how Jesus washed the feet Mm -hmm. of his disciples. We're just showing up in that way. And it was a huge pivot for our organization, but we had to figure out a way that we can continue to be proximate and present. Mm, I love it. And the name of it is Love Sinks In. Did you know that? Love Sinks In. I mean, yeah. literally, literally, I don't. I just signed up on a volunteer list with my church. You know, I was like, "Oh, my kids are home from school. We can do this on Fridays." And so I would usually take my daughter because we would just go hang out, and we would walk down there and clean it up and talk to people. And it was just, 
I loved are you, it. And are now, you serious? I'm so, I'll send you a picture when we're done. I took a picture of us one time. And now that my kids are back in school, it, it's difficult for us to do it. But yeah, we, and that, I mean, I don't, this is not about me, but I'm saying that's a, a way that you could like just tangibly, like it took me like 30 minutes, you know, every Friday, you know, yeah. and I just, you know, got to serve. Wasn't and, it amazing though? It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. And it was great for me and my daughter to have conversations. And and so it was really, really good. And this is really cool. I didn't know that it was connected. Wow. That brings, I mean, I got chills of you talking about it. I mean, we've literally had people experiencing homelessness that when we would go out and like wipe down the uh, sanitizer station and refill it, refresh it with water and soap, et cetera, that would literally say, thank you for giving me a space to wash my hands before I eat. Mm. Because you don't even think about it. Like, how do you wash your hands before you consume food? You know, people experiencing homelessness are proximate. They live in, you know, spaces that have a lot of germs, et cetera. And, you know, just thinking about it in terms of that, man, what greater way you could show up for neighbor just by like showing up in a very practical way, but it's so tangible Mm. for someone else that, you know, I mean, one guy said, this is like gold Mm. and it's something that's temporary, but for somebody else, it was so permanent. Yeah. And it was hard here because our shelters shut down. I'm not certain if they're open back up again now, but they were shut down for a really long time. In fact, I don't want to misspeak, but I think they're still closed. I mean, it has been really difficult here. And it's hard because, you know, on one hand, they're like, you know, putting all these people in one enclosed room is how COVID-19 will spread. But then on the other hand, you're like, well, now everyone is having to find shelter on the streets. I don't know what you guys are experiencing in Atlanta, if it might be the same. Way. It's pretty much the same way here and all around the country. I mean, there are some cities that have leveraged resources to provide temporary like rooms and hotels and, and yeah. stuff like that. But we're at the tail end of it. And, you know, there are many people that have been displaced again and yeah. are out there with, uh, you know, no PPE gear, yeah. you know, no sanitizer, which, you know, speaks about how we should continue to show up in those tangible ways. You know, one time, uh, you know, I even told a group, if you even know where people experiencing homelessness, like frequent, what if you put together like some sanitation kits and just leave it, uh, left it in a, a public space with a note, you know, just, uh, you know, we had one volunteer do that. It just said, take one, you know, uh, we want you to stay safe. Something as simple as that. I mean, it took them an hour. Terrence, this is funny. My husband makes fun of me because I want to ask you this question. When you go to hotels, let's say you don't use all the things, the shampoo, conditioner, soap, do you leave it or do you bring it home? Well, obviously we bring it and we collect them and give them away. (laughs) Okay. Well, see, I bring them home and I do not run an organization that is serving people experiencing homelessness, but I bring them home and I have all these like bins full. And my husband is like, why do you bring these home? I'm like, I don't know. What if we just ran out of shampoo? I mean, literally it drives them crazy. And when we started doing the cleaning, the water stations, my daughter and I made I was like, Aaron, all these things are coming to use because we made little packets and we put shampoo, conditioner, soap, and a granola bar in. And then when we would go down there, we would hand them out. And so even something like, you know what? All those years of me traveling, collecting shampoo bottles, now we have a purpose for them here in Austin. (laughs) Yeah, that's so brilliant. It's very simple. And I didn't come up with it, people. You know, it's just use what you got. It's having the margin to even think about doing something like that. We partner with the Marriott here in the city of Atlanta. And every week, you know, sometimes the guests will visit the hotel and they'll use just like a a drop of something Uh or they'll use maybe four sheets from a toilet paper roll and they have to throw all of that out. And so they donate free toilet paper. Oh my gosh. That's so good. I mean, all types of stuff every single week. You're talking about thousands of little bottles of shampoo or conditioner or soap that are thrown away because people only use it one time. You're going to make me start bringing the toilet paper rolls home in my suitcase now, because if I know they're going to throw it away, I better bring that home. Yep, they throw them away. We can add that to the packet. Yeah, and it's so useful and helpful. Wow. Yes. That's so awesome. Terrence, I am a fan of you guys and what you're doing, and I want everyone to read this book. It's full of stories. They will not take the place of presence by any means or proximity, but they will be a place for you to, for your mind to be opened up to maybe a population that you are, that maybe are invisible to you. 
Okay, so I end every show asking people what they're loving, what they're reading, what they're watching. What are you guys going on over at the Lester House that you're loving these days? We're loving hanging out with our kids, having spontaneous water balloon fights. Oh, look at y'all. Yeah, that that has been really, I don't know, restful and peaceful. Mm -hmm. Yep. We like to watch Christmas movies. Home Alone is the (laughs) Christmas movie of the Lester House. Love it. Like just the first one or you do you watch all of them? Just one and two. Okay. <laughs> Past two. I, Wasn't it even a new actor? It's like, who right? is this? <laughs> who is this? Yeah. But I'm I'm reading this couple books. Do you want me to share them? Yeah. We love books oh, yeah, here so, at Happy Hour. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading my friend's book, Love or Work by Jeff and Andre Schinnebarger. And basically in this book, it's talking about how work is constantly pulling you you know, erasing your boundaries and um, talking about like, how do you even maintain a healthy relationship with your spouse and your family and all the things that are essential without allowing work to cause you to forsake, you know, your second love after that's God. That's so right? good. I have that book in my office and it, I want serious? to read it. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Okay. What else are you reading? I'm actually in a PhD program. So we don't want to know what you're reading because it's not, it's like, yeah, it's going to be so way over like, my head. <laughs> yeah. What are you getting your doctorate in? A public policy and social change. Okay. So yeah, but my research interest is around the work that I do how social constructions and uh, narratives are formed about uh, people who are experiencing uh, poverty and homelessness in this country, like the origins of it. Yeah. Love it. Much needed. When will we call you Dr. Lester? Couple years. Couple years. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Terrence, it's been a joy having you on the show today. My hope and prayer as people listen is just that they will maybe give thought to something that maybe they haven't thought about before, or also that they'll dive into this book and maybe come face to face with some of their own misconceptions about people who are experiencing homelessness. Because if you live, I was going to say in any major city, but I'd probably say anywhere in America, there are opportunities for you to come face to face with people in poverty, experiencing homelessness. And so my prayer is that for all of us, we will see them as image bearers made by God. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Jamie. Oh my gosh, you guys, I told you, did I not tell you? It was such a good interview. He is a wonderful storyteller. I think I could listen to him tell stories all day long. Also, how crazy is it that Story and I, during quarantine when she wasn't in school, that we were cleaning one of the sinks that his organization helped put in Austin, Texas. If you're interested in a water station, visit lovebeyondwalls.org slash love sinks in. We'll put it in the show notes if you can't remember what that is. But if you want to get involved, that's a great place to start. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper. The music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Guys, go find Terrence on Instagram and tell him happy birthday today. That'd be a lot of fun. Enjoy your week. Share the show with a friend. Have a happy hour with a friend. Come back next week to hear my incredible conversation with my friend, Lisa Turkhurst. She just released a book recently called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. This show is phenomenal. Also, side note, if you're interested in becoming a writer, you need to tune in next week as well because we talk about how she's helping up-and-coming writers at the end of that show. Guys, I'll see you back here next week. 